And welcome to a very special supplemental episode for your reconsideration, the podcast where we re-examine best picture races and determine if the Academy got it right. And on our supplemental episodes, we look at movies that weren't even nominated for best picture, but maybe should have been. It sounded like you're gladiator. Well, weren't even nominated. They weren't even nominated. Uh, I'm Devin. That's Kyle. You don't know. He's checking his phone right now, so he can't. He's a little busy. Oh, do we have your attention now? <laughs> I'm here. Oh, good. Right here. In the now. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. <coughs> so let's start talking about these movies. This is a supplemental. We don't got time for intros and whatnot. Okay. First up, <laughs> Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Mah- Drive. Mulholland <laughs> Drive. Are you okay on that one? That was funny. Yeah. People are laughing. Directed by David Lynch. Distributed by Universal Pictures. Synopsis. (laughs) (laughs) This will be interesting. Yes. After a car wreck on the winding Mulholland Drive renders a woman amnesic. Amnesiac. She can't remember. She and a perky Hollywood hopeful search for clues and answers across Los Angeles in a twisting venture beyond dreams and reality. That's actually a pretty good synopsis for a movie that is hard to summarize. Yeah, I'll give you that for sure. All right. You want to hear some some true facts about this movie and you can judge if they're fun or not? Sure. Why do you have to say true facts just in this day and age? Yeah. It's important to clarify. It's important to clarify that these these aren't fake facts. Well, they might be. They're from the internet, so yeah. there's every likelihood that they're fake. <laughs> uh, so David Lynch originally wrote the basic idea for the story in the early 1990s as a spinoff of Twin Peaks. The character arc of Betty in the movie was written for Twin Peaks supporting character Audrey Horn, who would have been the central figure of the proposed spinoff. Even after that plan fell through, Lynch still saw the story as a series, and much of the film was shot in 1999 as a 90-minute TV pilot for ABC. After viewing Lynch's cut, however, television executives rejected it. Lynch then provided an ending to the project, shot some additional footage and turned it into a feature film. But like literally like 80% of that is what was shot for the pilot. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get back to that later in my thoughts. <laughs> uh, Rebecca Del Rio, the singer at club Silencio first met director David Lynch when a talent agent took her on a whim to a recording studio where Lynch happened to be and asked her to sing a song for him. She performed an impromptu version of Yorando which is also on a whim and without her knowledge was being taped by the audio engineer. Years later, Lynch decided to incorporate the song into Mulholland drive. Um, except for a few minor tweaks. This was the exact same recording used in the movie. Okay. Isn't that crazy? Well, yeah. But these facts are like, if people have not seen this movie, these facts are just falling on deaf ears. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. An entire discussion about a movie they haven't seen is probably falling on deaf ears. <laughs> if they haven't seen it. Well, that's true, but we're just not painting any context, you know? There's a song in the movie, and the woman who sang it. I mean, that it makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's confusing okay. about it. Just, these are just weird facts. It's a weird movie. It is true. Can't argue that. It's my final fact. The film is dedicated to Jennifer Syme, the one-time girlfriend of Keanu Reeves and a former assistant to David Lynch, who died in a car crash in the Hollywood Hills on April second, two thousand one. Oh no! It's a really sad story. Yeah. She and Keanu, like, 
she had had a preg- she they were pregnant and then I think she miscarried or the baby was stillborn or something like that and it was like a few months after this she was drinking and she crashed her car. Damn. But, yeah. So was she currently dating Keanu Reeves at the time? No, they broke up after they lost their child. Damn. Wow. Yeah. So, on a lighter note. Yeah, so let's talk about, yeah, the uplifting film of Mahalo Drive and Sub. <laughs> the best comedy of the, the knots. Depends on how you watch it. Well, David Lynch famously, like, refuses to say what it's about, so there's every reason to believe that he meant it to be a comedy. We don't know. He's not telling us. It's up to our interpretation. So what was your interpretation? <laughs> I mean, should we talk about why we chose this movie? That might be like a good idea. Sure. So this was our, like every supplemental, like Kyle gets a pick, I get a pick. And then there's one that we decide is like the universal pick of what the general consensus would be of a movie that got ignored. And this was our general consensus movie. Yeah. Cause I feel like every cinephile, has this in their best films since 2000 or like best film of all time. So Mulholland Drive is pretty high up there on a lot of lists. It sure is. <laughs> Do you want me to give a little backstory about our previous encounters with Mulholland Drive? Do we both have previous encounters? Well, we'd both seen it before. Oh, okay. And neither one of us had liked it that much. No. Is that correct? That's very true. It's fair to say. I mean, I watched it when I was 14. Yeah, I think I was like 17 when I saw it. Yeah. The first time. And I was like, what the... I don't know what this is. Right. But I don't like it. Not having fun. <laughs> right. Um, So I will say that I, watching it again now, I liked it more than the first time I saw it. <laughs> she fell asleep. <laughs> I did fall asleep. But that had more to do with my being tired than the... Well... She fell asleep uh, right before the cowboy scene. And you guys know what I'm talking about if you've seen this movie. <laughs> I fell asleep during the cowboy scene. And then he made me rewind it to watch it. Because he's like, it's a very important scene. And I, I was feel like, like I we don't were, think it is. I feel like we were getting a lot of important information <laughs> there that was going to be relevant <laughs> for the rest of the movie. Hmm. Spoiler alert. It, it wasn't. wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think maybe happening? like going into it, knowing a little bit more what to expect, I was, you know, more receptive to, to what was happening. I don't know. You say something about it. About Mulholland Drive? Yes. <laughs> the movie's a trip, man. <laughs> it's, I don't really know how else to describe it. You definitely have to be in a certain mood to watch this movie. I would certainly not start it after 10 p.m. <laughs> um, <laughs> and maybe be sober. Or maybe not. I don't know. I feel like being What's high or drunk while movie? watching this would make it too much too much like if you you're would, a fan like, think you were losing your mind right if you're a fan already watching it it's probably great but if you if it's your first if you're it's virgin eyes on this thing yeah stay sober yeah i don't know i really don't know what to say about this movie honestly this is gonna be a scintillating podcast i know i mean <laughs> i just it's such a weird like you've nailed it before it's just like such a weird movie to talk about yes i don't know how to describe it is it one of the greatest movies since you know since 2000 i don't know I personally don't think so. I can see the merit in it, but man, I mean, I will say at the end of it, like the day after the two days after we watched it, I did kind of want to watch it again, but like, I don't know if that's for all the right reasons or to just try to wrap my head again around why more people, why so many people love it. Yeah. I don't, I don't truly know. 
I could, I could go the rest of my life without seeing this movie again. However, I will say, I have thought about this movie a lot of days since we last saw it. That's true. Like it's been on my mind. Certain images and certain certain scenes have been playing through my head, and like I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe trying to just get a grip on this movie, but yeah, what am I saying? I'm kind of just like circling around an answer. You are. I'm not. It's not my favorite. Yeah. Um. So I'll say one. Naomi Watts' performance in this movie is oh, so good. So good. So and she was like nobody when she made, well because she was making a television pilot. So I mean, right. That's <laughs> the interesting thing too is like these people are people now. Right. They were they were not anybody when they made no. this. She's amazing in it, and I will say like I'm not a huge fan of David Lynch oh, in general. He's not what. Bill- I was gonna say Billy Ray Cyrus is in this movie. He is, and I'm pretty sure he he plays Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, it's unclear whether he's playing himself. But or like, not. I would just like to think by the end of the whole ordeal that he's playing himself. Yes. If there's one connection yes. I can make in this movie, it's that Billy Ray Cyrus is in here to be Billy Ray Cyrus, and it might be, it might be the most genius thing David Lynch has ever done. <laughs> unless it's an, unless he's not. Unless he's not being Billy Ray Cyrus, and then I don't really know what's happening. Right. But if so many people love David Lynch, and if this if this is why, I get it. I get it. Well, here's my thing. Like, I'm not a huge fan of David Lynch, and I think that he's a little overrated. I will say that, like, you know, like how I just, like, tried to breeze past that really fast. <laughs> These people maybe missed it. <laughs> but... I will say there were there are like certain scenes, and I think this is true. Like this is true of Twin Peaks. This is true of like Elephant I, Man. I don't. Really, Elephant Man actually is like a very undavid. How did movie. you feel about Eraserhead? I've never seen Blue Eraser. Velvet. Not seen it. Oh, Inland Empire. Because I don't like David Lynch. Lost Highway. What do you think of Lost Highway? I'm telling you, I don't like him. <laughs> Can you let me make my point now? <laughs> yeah. My point is there are like certain scenes, like standalone scenes that David Lynch does, I think are like so brilliant. There's like such cool stuff that he does, but trying to put it into a coherent story, I feel like is when it falls apart. And I just think that David Lynch, because he has this like cult personality, like people love him. He is a beloved director he gets a lot more benefit of the doubt than other directors would get. Like if you heard of some like no name director who was making a pilot for television and then at the, you know, two years later filmed extra footage and turned that pilot into a movie and you have this incoherent thing with a lot of loose ends where things aren't explained. I think someone else, people will be like, well, this was a mess because clearly, you know, the project, you know, that he didn't yeah. know what he was doing or where he was going and blah, blah, blah. But because it's David Lynch, people are like, oh, he's a fucking genius. And this is like brilliant. And, and, but I mean, the fact that he like refuses to talk about what this show is, like what this movie is, it's like, like maybe, maybe he is a genius. Maybe this is all what he saw in his mind, or maybe he had a pilot <laughs> and then had to turn it into a movie yeah, and just to, put to, some to, shit together to and was like, people, back, you people you know like I mean? this? Because, yeah. like, was this a pilot funded by ABC? Yeah. Or was it a pilot made to pitch? Okay, so ABC put the money in? He pitched it, and then they made the pilot. They produced the pilot. So he didn't have any money in... He didn't have any skin in the game anyway. So I why did he have to turn it into a movie? 
he wanted to, I guess. I don't okay. know. Okay. So you like got together some extra cash to finish it up? Yeah, I think he got funding from got somewhere Naomi else. Naomi Watson, the other actress, to be naked for no reason. Yeah. Because that surely wasn't in the pilot. I'm going to assume not, no. <laughs> I'm going to assume that it wasn't like on ABC. David calls. He's like, hey, I got these ideas. We, we got to re- reshoot some stuff. We're going to really tie this thing together. Um, you guys are now lovers. <laughs> right. And I need you to be naked. Although- is, is ABC still buying this? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. You know, don't worry about it. I, 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 uh, I, I, uh, I did some meditating and uh, I walked through some trees. This and is, I got yeah, this, this is the, the best idea. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess I just, I just feel like people give him a lot. Like maybe he deserves the credit he gets. I'm just saying maybe he doesn't. <laughs> Counterpoint. Right. Maybe not. I mean, the fact is, if any no-name director, you're right, put this out, I don't think it would have eyes on it, but I think that's for many other reasons, like, just in how the kind of business works. Yeah. Like, if David Lynch wasn't the front man of this movie, sure, it wouldn't be given the shot it uh, got, but I don't know, man. I can, okay, like, I could see this, like, it's a whole class at UCLA, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> not even say- just David Lynch, but, like, this movie. Yes. In particular. And I will say, like, you know, not to be spoilery, I guess, but, like, the general consensus of, like, deciphering this movie is to look at parts of it as a dream. And I will say, if in that respect, like, I do like it, because, like, nothing bothers me more than in movies and TV where people have these, like, super linear dreams that make complete sense and are, like, obviously very you know, metaphorical about what's going on in their lives. Cause no one dreams like that. That's not what your dreams are right, like. Right. Your dreams are like, you know, weird cowboy men walking past you and things that like make sense in the moment. And then when you about? wake up, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. No. Like what is I that? just dream about being naked at school and I'm out of school now. Well, actually that's weirder context now. Yeah. As a teacher. <laughs> I just meant like in my student role, I, re- I would always dream about being naked. I never at school. had that dream. Or like, dude, I was just, ta- I was just talking to a co-teacher today. Like, uh, I still have dreams where I'm like getting ready to go on stage and perform. And I like, can't remember my lines. Like that's I funny. still have that nightmare. I used to have it all the time in high, in high school. I used to have and a like, reoccurring nightmare where I was being chased by giant, like Victorian China dolls were chasing me over like a bunch of hills. That sounds like a Lynch movie. <laughs> That's what my yeah, I, like are like. I like it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't have much to add to that. Do you have anything to add? No. All right. Well, let me give you some other statistics. Go fast. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes audience score of eighty-seven percent and a critic score of eighty-three percent. As far as its legacy, uh, the British Film Institute's Sight and Sound list of the top 250 films ranked this at number 28. Very high. High praise. <laughs> high praise. Um, at the Oscars, it was nominated for one Oscar. Which one was that? Best Director. Oh, wow. Awesome. It won zero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the box office, it made $20.1 million. Wow. It's not bad. That's an audience, well, though. No, that's an audience. Like... For him to make $20 million, it's like that's solely on, if with no names in that movie. That's true. That's solely that's on people. the David Lynch name. So, like, go him. Yeah, which I also think is crazy. Like, I have to imagine the, like, average moviegoer is not a David Lynch fan. No, no, no. Because, like, we really love movies, and we were like, uh. I remember, dude, dude, I was camping with Dave's, he's my good friend. I was camping with his family when we were in high school. And, like, his uncle, we were just talking about, like, favorite movie. He, you know, he knew I liked movies at that time. He's just like. 
oh, what's your favorite movie? And I, God knows what I said. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, mine's Blue Velvet. And I didn't know what it was. So he's telling me a little bit about it. I rented it. And I'm just like thinking about, I got to text Dave and tell him to watch out for his uncle. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> that's like a really fucked up movie to be your favorite movie. That's funny. But, you know, it's probably the favorite movie of so many people. And I, I no longer think that. But as an impressionable 15-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, like this, this is this guy's favorite movie? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, also, I've seen that movie all of once. I've seen, like, parts of it a couple other times, but, like, I've seen the movie all of once, and there is imagery in that movie that is just, like, ingrained so it's just, to d- me. David Lynch does great imagery. Yeah. I just don't think that imagery always adds up to something. No. Oh, no. That's fact. True fact. Yeah, that's a true fact. All right. All right. Next movie we're talking about. Uh, is the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, that actually might have been my answer for favorite movie at the time. Oh, that's funny. That was my favorite movie for a while. First Criterion movie I ever owned, too. Oh. Yeah. Well, it was directed by Wes Anderson, produced by Buena Vista Pictures. Synopsis. The eccentric members of a dysfunctional family reluctantly gather under the same roof for various reasons. I think that's wow. a good synopsis. Yeah. Uh, so it was written... Vague, yet yeah, correct. Yes. That's what IMDb sells it. <laughs> IMDb either does like vague to the point of like being confusing or like so specific that like, well, you just ruined the whole <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah, like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it's all, I think it is all user generated. Even the synopsis? Yeah, I'm pretty sure oh. this is all like a user generated thing. I think at one point it was a company that would do it for like major titles and then they would allow like other people to fill in a little bit of information. But I'm pretty sure since like, especially since Amazon bought it, they just like open source everything. Like you can just you can change anything. You can add to trivia. You can adjust I don't think actors. That's true. No, you I you absolutely can. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's like the Wikipedia. Mm, Pixar didn't happen. Well, now I'm like having second guesses, but like I know you can add trivia. Like I know for a fact. Well, yeah, you trivia. Can add I don't know if you can like say like, oh hey, you but know you, Tom but, Hanks was in the world. But I think box. you can. I think you can change out. The, I think you can swap the sw- the the plot synopsis though too. Like, I don't think you could change. They have the like synopsises that users aspect. write, and you yeah. can if you click on more, you can see those. Oh, ones. really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, know. this is enough of our how IMDb works <laughs> corner. But <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about the Royal Ten of Bombs. All right. So it's written by Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson, and they took wow. two years to complete the script. The initial. Wow. <laughs> You're just gonna do an Owen Wilson impression through this whole thing. Wow. The initial idea stemmed from Anderson's parents' divorce, although the finished film is not very similar to that real-life situation. They also is this drew a fact. <laughs> yes. Okay. A f- well, I think that they wanted to. Maybe we should save facts till after we talk about the movie. No. Okay. They also drew. Just inspir- throwing ideas. <laughs> season two. We're not gonna have like on-air. So we got eight more seasons. <laughs> tell you about where they also drew inspiration from sure they drew inspiration from french director louis mal's what mal mali mal it's probably not isn't that he's the guy that did the uh, atlantic city right yeah i think so louis mal yes the fire within orson welles's 1942 film the magnificent ambersons e.l koningberg's book from the mixed up files of mrs basley frank weiler J.D. Salinger's characters in the 1961 book Franny and Zoe inspired much of the child prodigy material and the film Les Enfants Terribles by Jean-Pierre Melville partly inspired Richie and Margot's relationship. 
uh, Gene Hackman, knowing that he was near the end of his career, signed on to this movie under the agreed promise from Wes Anderson that it would be a fun and relaxing experience. This did not transpire and led to Hackman becoming frustrated and verbally abusing Anderson on set over what? trivial matters. Such was the extent of his frustration that cast members became angered and felt that what Hackman was doing amounted to bullying, leading to Gwyneth Paltrow and Angelica Houston avoiding Hackman on set. Bill Murray saw this happening and decided to intervene, calling Hackman out on his verbal abuse of Anderson and choosing to come to work on his days off as a show of solidarity with Anderson. Aw. Mm-hmm. They do have such a cute romance, those two. Oh, Bill Murray and Wes Anderson? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just going to... I ignored everything you just said, and I was talking about Gene Hackman and Wes Anderson. Okay. Uh, This is a really, really fun fact. The original Hawk used to play Mordecai (laughs) was kidnapped during shooting and held for ransom. Production could not wait for him to be returned, so the bird that appears later in the movie is a different bird that has more white white feathers feathers? because it's different. Okay, that's so good. See, guys, uh, this is just a reference. Again, with all of Devin's facts, you usually have had to have seen the movie first to really appreciate it. I them. recommend you always see the movies before you listen to our podcast. So they're supposed to see what movies we talk about. Mm-hmm. After downloading our podcast and reading what that's the description we, is. Yeah. And then listen are, to it later after they've watched them. They should have already seen these movies. Yeah, guys, get on it. I mean, I agree. I feel like Royal Tenenbaum is a pretty popular one. Yeah. All right. The Royal Tenenbaums. Devin. So this was my pick for this episode because I had never seen it before. And I like Wes Anderson's other work that I have seen. Why are you, why are you laughing? Why do you laugh like I've never seen movies before? <laughs> it's, I feel like you're just saying that now because of what I said about I've seen David a lot Lynch. more Wes Anderson movies than I've seen David Lynch because you know what? I like Wes Anderson. <laughs> Anyway, I feel like this movie is, like, one of the ones that, like, it's obviously, like, one of his first big movies. It's probably his first, like, really big movie. Because I feel like not a lot of people saw Rushmore until, like, after they already became Wes Anderson fans. Are you just going to ignore me? I mean, I don't, know, I just don't know if I agree with that statement. Rushmore was a huge hit. Was it? Yeah, for yeah. Okay. I think more so on video. Well, I think this but, movie yeah. was still bigger than Rushmore, though. Is what I I'm think saying. they would. No one would in their right mind would ever greenlit this movie if Rushmore was not successful. I mean, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I feel like you know I was very excited to see this movie, um, and it did not disappoint. It has everything. You know, I was saying to you, I feel like this is very clearly like early in Wes Anderson's career when he wasn't maybe at liberty to be as Wes Anderson as he is allowed to be now. And the, like, cuteness was, like, toned down a lot in this movie than where he goes later in his career. But it's still there. There's still, like, the weirdness. There's still the very, like, it's very clear. Like, you can't watch a Wes Anderson movie and be like, I have no idea who directed this. Because it's always just, like, very clear that it's his movies. Yes. He's a very distinct style. And, like, I don't think... There's no way anyone can do what he does without just looking like you're ripping him off. So he's like pretty much just cornered the market on these types of movies. Right. I think it's the visual style along with like the quirky attitudes, the monotone dialogue delivery. Mm -hmm. Like he's really just because like he referenced all those other films in your fun facts. And I think like visual cues are certainly taken from them. Um, I think delivery and just that kind of overall attitude is very much him. Yeah. And I liked it. I mean, this is a really good movie. It's, um, 
And I think one of, I mean, like, obviously I think he must be a good director to work with because like. Not according to Gene Hackman. Well, Gene Hackman's an asshole. But um, everyone, I mean, like, he gets really great actors to come work for like way less than they probably are like used to getting paid. Yeah. To come work with him and make these movies. And he, you know, a lot of the same people work with him over and over again, which I always think is a good sign of how he treats his actors. You know, like Gene Hackman's never been in a Wes Anderson movie again, but everyone else has, you know? So, right, like, no, right, right. But uh, I don't know. I don't want to say, like, I feel like a Wes Anderson movie is a lot about the, vi- I mean, like, the performances are good, the writing is good. And like you said, it's very much like the very, like, monotone not a lot of emotion like that sort of thing like it's very stark in a way in the way that it's like depicted but um it all just works so well and i feel like this movie it's a lot of visual stuff like uh i follow like a lot of like fashiony things or whatever and like every halloween they'll have like the best halloween costumes for fashion girls or whatever and every single year like margot tenenbaum is on that list but i just feel like You know, it becomes cliche because it's true, because it is a very fashionable, stylish movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? And so... It's retro. Yeah. It's... Yeah. I love the way he does... It's like... It feels like it's... It's like not... You don't know when it's set. You don't know when any of the time period of... You know what I mean? Right. At one point, they said 2001 on the... I think it was on the tombstone. And I'm like, (laughs) what year is it? Yeah. And then he said, like, I read in the things, like, they specifically had a lot of different things from different time periods because they wanted, they didn't want it to be clear when it was. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted to have that look and they like shot it in New York, but they were really careful to like not make it look like New York. They didn't have any, oh, like for sure. There's identifying. no landmarks. Yeah. And yeah. all the like places are fake, you know, like, yeah, it, I love it. It's like all of his book, all of his movies. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> they're very like book like, you know, like this obviously is set up like a book has chapters and that sort of thing. But I feel like, all of his movies take place in this like other universe right. where things are more fantastical than yes, in real life. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Which is what's fun. Yeah, no, amen. I mean, like I said, this was probably one of my favorite movies for like the longest time um, in high school. I really fell in love with Anderson. Really a great gateway in the movie, like loving movies. I feel like very much for how kids are now with like uh, the Carnetto trilogy with uh, Edgar Wright like and that kind of thing. Like a lot of kids kind of treat Edgar Wright like maybe people my age and a little older treated Wes Anderson kind of growing up. Um, I just had an epiphany. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, what's your epiphany? That, like, what's Wes that? Anderson created hipsters. No. Like, look at our generation. Grew up with, like, Wes Anderson films. And then we were like, we want to use, like, <laughs> ironically have these vinyl things in 70s style, whatever, and retro that. Yeah. I'm just I saying, mean, hipsters love Wes Anderson, and hipsters no, grew know. up with these I movies. mean, but also, like, I mean, my college film professor loves Wes Anderson, and he's not in our generation. You know what I mean? Like, Hipsters can be any generation. No, I, I mean, I agree. I agree. I think he certainly didn't not, con- like, I think, he, I think he certainly contributed, but I don't think he's, like, the uh, I don't know. Stay. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not saying he single-handedly did it. I just think right. that... I just think Maybe like, the coexistence of both hipsters and his right. work I mean, benefited each other. Right. No, I mean, I agree. But even even if you watch, like, uh, fucking um, singles and, like, uh, reality bites, like, about the, like, Generation X, even mm-hmm. like that, or fucking uh, Slacker. Yeah. Like, 
hipsters have been around. You know what I mean? Like th- that well, was never. Gen X is different than hipsters, though. No, but I think that's the genesis of like hipsters, though. Like, but that was they're, a, they're all the specifically same about a different generation. But you just said Wes Anderson created hipsters, so I'm telling before Wes Anderson, I think the, the the groundwork was already laid. Is like what I'm trying to say. I know. I'm just saying that I think that like Gen Xers are different than hipsters. Is what I'm saying. Well, I'm saying you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> And I'll leave it at that. Okay, like again, I think they put in like all the groundwork for like what are hip, like what hipsters are today, and like the boom of hipsters. I think one hundred percent. They made things like cool again. I guess, but like Gen X is like defined by their apathy. Like they don't care about anything. They're just like whatever, fuck it. And, like hipsters in general are mostly millennials, and millennials are defined by an optimism that Gen X does not have. I if mean, we want to get into, like, the breakdown of generations. No, but I mean, And I like, think that Wes Anderson is a much more, like, optimistic style of film than something like Reality Bites. Oh, or, I just feel like you're saying, you're like, so their apathy is, like, exactly what hipsters have, though. Because that's, it's towards, like, everything that is popular. Which is, like, what makes a hipster. Is, like, they gravitate towards, like, the things that, like, oh, no one knows about this. So, like... This is what I'm going to focus I on. I guess that's you know what I mean? true. Yeah, it is true. You heard it here. Recorded. I will never lose this file. I got to make sure that I properly save it on eight different hard drives. I hope you properly save all of our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to know? Who's to know? Uh, no. But uh, what was I saying before you had your little epiphany? I have no idea. It doesn't matter. It was one of my favorite movies. Like, Love West. Oh, yeah. You know, good gateway into filmmaking for sure. Yes. You know, I realized that when I'm rewatching this, I think it's fine. I was getting nostalgic, whatever. But it's, it used to be, I used to tell people Royal Tenenbaums was my favorite Wes Anderson. I don't think it's true. Your favorite Wes Anderson kept, movie? Yeah. I kept, while watching this, I kept being like, man, I really want to watch Bottle Rocket again. <laughs> and that's his first one. I remember, oh my God, I downloaded the short film for Bottle Rocket, like when I first got a computer. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, it's like a, what is it, like maybe 10 minutes, maybe, I don't know, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Um, it's basically the very beginning of the movie Bottle Rocket, but it's in black and white. It took like four hours to download on my computer, my parents' computer. Oh my god! <laughs> like, and I'm not even like that old to be like. There's there's people that were on the internet far before me who were downloading things. You know, mm-hmm. probably porn took like eight days to watch. So you you really built yourself up. But like, that's why they had to invite Viagra. I remember this took for like ever to download. I was so excited to watch this like really crappy QuickTime file <laughs> of like this this film short from uh, University of Austin. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. Like, I really just kind of craving. I don't know if like that style was just kind of getting annoying to me throughout, but I was just kind of craving like the freshness that uh, that like Bottle Rocket had. And I'm not. I've never been like a big proponent for Rushmore, actually. I think it's a fine movie. I think it's a fun watch. I get why people do love it. I always prefer Tenenbaums over that. What are we talking about at this point? I'm sorry. I'm just, ram- about- I'm just rambling now. You're just going through all of... You're going to rank yeah. all of Wes Anderson's no. movies. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is a damn good movie. Uh, it has really good turns. Great characters. Mm-hmm. It's a fun... You're right. It's, it, it just takes you to another world for an hour and a half. Yeah. A fun, bizarro world of our own. Where you're rooting for a brother and sister to just make it work. Just, yeah, dude, it sounds like Game of Thrones. I mean, sure. I'm also trying to get that brother. Well, no, I'm not trying to get that brother and sister. I'm trying to get that aunt and uncle to. You know. To just figure it out. I don't know. Like people, like people have been watching Game of Thrones from day one. 
people at this point love Jamie Lannister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is now he... suddenly John Star or I'm sorry, yeah. John Snow is like fucking his aunt who he's never met before. Yeah. And people are so outraged. Right. Like I'm like, what have you been watching well, for the last had, eight years? They had more seasons. We've only had one episode that they fucked in and nothing since. I know, but I just feel like I agree. I feel like I people agree. get I was about to say like people overreact to incest, <laughs> but like I just feel like I think it's way weirder for twins who grew up together yeah. to ha- be having sex and be in love than two people who literally do not know that they're yeah. related. I want to say like one, he they were having brother and sister having sex and then he pushes a kid out a window. Yeah, like, and people love Jamie. There's just Lee like Lester. a lot going wrong here. You know what I mean? No, and I was just joking. But like that's a whole. Di- I don't know. That's a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down right yeah, now. Yeah, this isn't a Game of Thrones podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Royal Tenant Bombs. Royal Tenant Bombs, guys. Watch it. See it. Love it. Do it. It has a Rotten Tomato audience score of eighty nine percent and a critic score of eighty percent. As far as its legacy, um, as much as it's like kind of a cult popular film, it hasn't been named to a lot of notable lists. Um, in 2016, it was included in the BBC's 100 Greatest Films of the 21st Century. Cool. At the Oscars, it had one nomination for original screenplay and zero wins. Yeah. And at the box office, it made 71.4. Like, Owen Wilson has been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Think about that for a second. I will. And second over. Okay, what's up next, Devin? Next up is Y Tu Mama Tambien. Alfonso Caron. Translated to? Uh, and your mom, mother also. And your mom, mother also. And your mom, mother also. Mm-hmm. That's why it is mom, ma, so it's like mother twice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, distributed in America by 20th Century Fox. Synopsis. In Mexico, two teenage boys and an attractive older woman embark on a road trip <laughs> And learn a thing or two about life, friendship, sex. Oh my god! And each other. Oh my god! That yeah. is the most. It that 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 synopsis is laughable after watching this movie. Like it's just such like a polite spin. <laughs> it is a very polite way to explain movie. what yeah. happens in this movie. Also, I feel like it's so rude to call her an older woman yeah. when I don't even think she's like thirty. Like, no, it's just like from the perspective of the boys, and then it becomes from the perspective of like, I don't know. Yeah. A newspaper trying to sell it to everybody. <laughs> yes. All right. You ready for some maybe true facts? Yes. Maybe it was written by Alfonso Caron and his brother Carlos. That's true. It was. <laughs> and in Mexico, the film earned $2.2 million in its first weekend, making it the highest box office opening in Mexican cinema history. After working on Great Expectations and A Little Princess, Alfonso Cuaron envisioned a film that was not influenced by production techniques used in Hollywood cinema. He wanted to reject commercial production and techniques he'd used in previous films like dollies, close-ups, and dissolves. Instead, he embraced a documentary realist style of filmmaking for Itu Mama Tamian. In an interview, Cuaron said, I wanted to make the film I was going to make before I went to film school. And so a lot of the film was improvised. They Instead of using high-tech equipment, it was shot with a handheld camera and uh, to mimic a candid footage look. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was released without a rating in the U.S. because a market limiting NC-17 was unavoidable. The yeah, N- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
The MPA's presumed treatment of the film based on the graphic depiction of sex and drug use in comparison to its much more accepting standards regarding violence prompted critic Roger Ebert to question why movie industry professionals were not outraged. He said, quote, why do serious film people not rise up in rage and tear down the rating system that infantilizes, I can't say that word, their work. Infantilizes? Why do you write it if you can't say it? It's a quote. I'm quoting Roger Ebert. Oh, That's yeah, yeah. Sorry. Paraphrase. He's saying it makes it childish. Hmm. It does. It's a, I mean, like, I included that fact because I so strongly believe that the rating system is so messed up and what it allows for violence and what it does not allow for sex. Amen. Because, I mean, I'll get back up on the soapbox for one movie, but, like, Sex is a very natural thing that almost every single person is going to experience in their life. And we hopefully not like these boys, but like, well, no, but people have sex a lot more often than they commit or see violence. And so I just think that like, we should be normalizing sex more than normalizing violence. We should all just be having more sex than like committing crimes. If more people had sex, maybe we'd have less violence. Yeah. Let's all just have sex. So busy having sex. Our parents had a right with the the hippie generation, man. They were just like they were all on it. Make love, not war. Yeah, well, Let's bring it, it back. Didn't work out well. What? The hippie movement didn't last. Oh, because a lot of violence came in and broke it up. Oh damn, that's just the man bringing us down. Mm-hmm. All right, what do you think of Eat Mama Tambien? This was my pick. This was your pick. My pick. Alfonso Cuarón, one of the hottest directors working today. The current best director, reigning best director. Yeah, he's won a couple times in the last few years, huh? Yeah, twice in like the last. With Gravitar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, Roma, which I also feel like watching this movie too, and knowing like after seeing Roma and knowing how that was like based on his life. You can see in this movie oh my too, God, yes. the parts that were also based on his There's life. There's so many like maids just like, yeah, like he was clearly the part of, uh, uh, Diego Luna. Yeah. yeah. What's his Tonkin? No, not Tonkin. Tenoch. Tenoch. Yes. Yeah. Like he's clearly like, that was his role, you know, yeah. the whole thing. Like he mm-hmm. came from this kind of upper class part. Um, with obviously, a a, you know, made. Yeah. And there Which was, a, there like was the, an affection there. Like, yeah, there was when they went affection. past like her hometown and he was like... Yes. Like, that was literally... The, that had to be the beginning rumblings of Roma. Right. Like, 100%. Yes. And, I mean, I think his mate in the movie was named, like, Leo, right? And isn't his... In real life, it was Lebo, right? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't I'm pretty that. sure that's what it was dedicated to. But, um... Roma, I mean. But, no, I really enjoyed this movie. Like, you know, at first I was just kind of like... First of all, it's so weird because Diego Luma and Gael Garcia Bernal are like babies in this movie. They look, I mean, because they were, they were like, Diego Luna especially looks like he's like 13 years old in this movie. (laughs) He really does. And at first I was just like, I don't know. I don't know how much I want to watch these like horny dudes just be gross. But like, I think that the movie obviously is like so much more than that. I love the way, and again, I think it's so reminiscent of Rome. I feel like honestly this movie has like, a lot of direct links to Roma because I think these are both like very personal films for him. But like, I feel like it's, he's so good at having these like very personal contained narratives set against a backdrop of like globally what's happening. Mm-hmm. Or not even globally, like in Mexico, like on a right, national right, scale. Right, though. Bigger than just the Right, bigger themselves. than the thing. And like, he does it so well of like, these people are having these selfish teenage whatever and like but this is what's happening around them 
Yeah. That they're not noticing, that they're not engaging in, but right, that is still right. impacting what is going on in their lives. Right, right. And it's just, I really love the way that he does that. And I really liked the way it was depicted in this film. No, amen. I, mean, it's, I think it's honestly, yeah, like you, you go into it at first, and I was thinking, like, do I not remember this movie as well as it is? Like, it was just <laughs> kind of like gross to watch these teen. But I, when I first saw it, I was the age of these teenagers, probably, or close to it. Um, and man, I don't know. It's very, I almost like was watching it just like with the added narrator and probably the fact that we were just like watching subtitles in general, but like it very much f- felt like his kind of take on like a French new wave movie. Yeah. And like with that description of like kind of going back to basics for him, I mean, those rules were all kind of like embraced by the french new wave right like that's so true of like i'm just gonna go out there with handheld camera yeah like they knew all the rules they studied you know the hollywood movies right but then they Mm -hmm. they made these things that were right exactly so they just kind of embraced limitations and made these like smaller more intimate movies and i think that's very much kind of kind of what this felt like was his take on like a mexican new wave if you will which in a ways i mean it kind of was part of a a wave of mexican films but uh Mm -hmm. with you know, um, anywhere to, and, uh, what's the guy I'm always forgetting. Damn. Can't remember the other guy. Guillermo? No, 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 no. <laughs> Um, but they, all these, these guys like coming out around the same time. Um, but, uh, man, Ichimama Tambien, hate the name of this movie. Hate it. Doesn't work. <laughs> I in my opinion, it feels. I hate when you, he, when he says the line in the movie and you're like, Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> and you know it's just not a, it's not a great it's not good you know you know one it always sucks to hear the name of the fucking movie in the movie yeah I'm not a fan of that <laughs> um it's like it just takes you out of it other than that though I mean the performances are solid uh, I actually didn't know it was it was mostly improvised again just kind of fits in line with the rest of of the aesthetic uh, but yeah I'm glad we rewatched it absolutely you know I'm waiting th- to get to this one so. Yeah, I really I'm glad you picked this one. You know, I think it's I think it's interesting that you said it was like a French new wave movie cuz like when we were watching it, I was I kept thinking about what was that movie? And I can't remember what it was called, but that movie we watched with oh, I can't remember. You haven't given me any clues so far. We watched it. We watched it. Together. I got that. One. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. No, it was like the French movie where it's like the two guys go stay in the house and then the one girl is there and they're like Oh, the Eric Romer movie? Yeah, Eric Romer. I forget uh, what it was called. What was the name of that movie? Something French. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. But anyway, it, like, reminded me so much of that movie where, like, yeah, the two yeah. guys were kind of, like, You're being, like, right, weird though. and, like, Yeah, and they were trying to get with her. Like, they were trying to, yeah, make a, like, it was kind of competition to get with her first. Yeah, and, and then there was, like, all the, it was, a, I thought it was very similar to that movie. Damn, it really was. Although they were adults, so it was, like, a little more like, annoying. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to look at that movie up while you keep talking. Okay. But, no, I just think that, I think you're really right. I think you hit the nail on the head with, like, it was his take on French New Wave and... And I think it just, like, also proves that, you know, a lot of people complain that, like, oh, there's no new movies. You know, everything's just, like, a remake or based on, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, you can take things that have existed for a long time and still make it completely around. Like, that's what being an artist is to a lot of extent. Do you know what I mean? Like, creating something out of something that's been there for forever and yeah. but making it feel new again, which is what he did with this film. Yeah. Um, the movie we were referencing. Oof. Good luck with that. 
La Collect. I don't think we. I ever knew the title in the first place, which is why oh, it was yeah. hard to remember. I think it translates to the collection, the collector, the collector. Yeah, yes. but it's the collection in You get that? Mm-hmm. Everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. But yeah, uh, if you look up Eric Romer, it's his 1967 movie. Yes, and also a movie that inspired me to cut my hair really short, which was a poor idea. Is so. that seriously? Well, yeah, that was one of the movies. We were watching a bunch of French New Wave, and a lot of them held short hair, and I was but, like, yeah, yeah. I should cut all my hair off. And and I love it, and she's just still being a baby about it. You know, I don't have the face of a French New Wave ingenue. That's the problem. Wow. <laughs> don't look like Gene Seberg. Isn't that sad? <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> who's No, who is the girl, the one who was married to Godard, who is in? Anna Karina. Yeah, I want to look like her. Like, her hair was really what I was, like, going for a little bit. Hmm. And Viver la vie. What? Didn't land there. <laughs> Didn't know what I look like. Anyway. <laughs> God. All right. Uh, How to do? I'll, I'll let you know. It has a Rotten Tomato audience score of 88% and a critic score of 92%. Um, as far as his legacy... Uh, the Los Angeles Film Critics Association ranked it at number nine for best films of the decade. That was the highest ranking list wow. I could find it yeah. listed on. At the Oscars, it was nominated for one for best original screenplay. Obviously, one zero. The box office made $33.6 million. And now we have one more movie to talk about. But before we get to it, I have a segue that is also one more fun fact about the Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. So, Danny Glover, Luke Wilson, and Owen Wilson all turned down parts in Ocean's Eleven to appear in the Royal Tenenbaums. Interesting. Were Luke and Owen supposed to play the brothers? They were. That is who was supposed to play those guys. That's awesome. I know. That's really cool. So now we're going to talk about who, who was in Who was Danny Glover supposed to play? My guess would be Bernie Mac. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, maybe oh, Don maybe, Cheadle. I don't yeah, know. Actually, that would be good. Maybe he could have nah. done a better Cockney accent. Who uh, knows? Uh, <laughs> All right. So we're to talk, in case you haven't picked up on it, we're talking about Ocean's it's Eleven. Danny Ocean. <laughs> just, was, they were so lucky Danny Glover dropped out. I don't think. I think George Clooney was attached to it before <laughs> yeah. anyone else. He's rusty. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe, oh, maybe like Saul or he like. He could have been like. Uh, I could see him as like I can't think of his name Benedict. As like the villain. Yeah, that's true. Although actually. I mean, like Andy Garcia was amazing, so like no, but yeah, I don't honestly know who I'd have like. I honestly don't. They would have had to change the whole character Burning Mac if it was going to be Danny Glover playing him. That's true. Like in all honesty, because he doesn't play he like an older guy. guy. He was their grease yeah, man. He's, their grease man. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> oh man all right let me do this okay oceans 11 directed by steven soderbergh produced by warner brothers synopsis danny ocean and his 11 accomplices (laughs) plan to rob three (laughs) las vegas casinos simultaneously (laughs) that's a bit of a lie 
I hate that description, actually. Why? That's what I, I know that's the plot, but really, they're just, <laughs> they're just like robbing like one casino. Well, it's that the, just happens to be housing the money. Three, yes. But that sounds like that's quite a feat. I will see that movie. I don't know if you remember, like, but oh. only the three closest guys to ever rob a Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first of the podcast where we just recite Ocean's <laughs> Eleven to you. <laughs> I feel like we should preface this by saying. People might be like, why on an Oscars podcast are we talking about Ocean's Eleven? And I want to say, one, because it's a phenomenal film. Yes, and it, it literally got gypped on, like, 14 categories. Yes, and two, it is both of, like, we we have similar tastes, and yet I would say, like, our top movies of all time have very little crossover, but the one high point of crossover that it has is Ocean's Eleven. Amen. We both love this film. It's literally the most, like, watchable movie in the world, in my opinion. It is. I will, if it's on cable, I'll watch it. Yeah. If, if we had cable, <laughs> yes. Well, you know. <laughs> when we had cable and it was on, we would watch it. You yeah, guys, we're just a couple hipster cord cutters, thanks to Wes Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you some facts about Ocean's Eleven? Sure, I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> Uh, well, it was written by Ted Griffin, and I don't know if you know this, but it's a loose remake of the 1960 film of the same name, starring the Rat Pack. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but <laughs> uh, so the entire cast worked for less than their usual salaries to bring down the budget. Thirteen players like that. Can we just do like Ocean's Four? We can afford Ocean's Four, guys. <laughs> as long as it's just like Bernie Mac and. <laughs> This Don Sheetle guy that no one's heard of. Okay. So the scene of everyone... <laughs> you already know this one, but I, I want to share it because I like it. Yeah. The scene at the end of everyone standing around watching the Bellagio fountain and leaving was somewhat improvised. Steven Soderbergh wanted Brad Pitt to leave first and Kyle, Carl Reiner to leave last. Devin's and the rest of the actors were told now. to line up and depart in whatever order they felt natural. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Okay. She didn't cry. <laughs> uh, Steven Soderbergh said that the film was an opportunity to give audiences, quote, pleasure from beginning to end. He wanted it to be. It was either this or a porn. <laughs> he wanted it to be, quote, a movie that you just surrender to without embarrassment, without regret. Which I would say, Steven, you succeeded. Go Steven. Okay. Go Steven. By the way, nominated for Best Director twice the previous year. Yes. Winning one. Um. And then also, so the brief sequence where uh, they're demolishing that Vegas hotel and they're watching it. Originally, in the original version, it was the New York, New York hotel and casino being demolished. But in the aftermath of 9-11, they thought that that was inappropriate. So they CGI'd <laughs> a different hotel in the background. But I guess on the DVD and Blu-ray, you can see uh, the original one with the New York, New York being demolished. Oh, okay. The, the original version. Huh. And also, I thought I had this included in here, but maybe I thought it was too, like, inside baseball to include in here. But, you know, when they're, um, when he first pitches the idea to Rusty, and then he's like, I think we would need, like, a, and he lists off a bunch of names of cons that they would sure. have to do. Like, they broke it down what each of those is in the final thing of what they did. I don't know what you just said. So, like, once we see the whole movie and we see how they pulled off the con. Uh-huh. Steven Soderbergh knew like every name of a thing that they did matches up to what they did. Like he actually, like this isn't just random nonsense that he's oh, saying. It all you. matches what they did. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. 
yeah, you should have just left that one out. I mean, I found it the most interesting. <laughs> so I, like, no, I mean, I should have included it in here so I could tell you what they all were, but yeah, I thought that might get a little boring for people who don't love Ocean's Eleven as much as we do. Which I don't know who that would be. If you don't love Ocean's Eleven, like maybe you haven't seen it recently and you should go watch it. I mean, I really, I don't think I've ever heard someone say they don't enjoy that That's movie. True. They That's may not true. say it's like their favorite film, but like, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard one person say like that movie's garbage. I think that, like, first of all, like, I love a heist movie. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I love a heist movie. And this is, in my correct opinion, the best heist (laughs) movie ever. Like, I just think that all heist movies have to be compared to Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. And none of them are as good. No. Except maybe Ocean's Twelve. Ugh. Ocean's Twelve is underrated, guys. Ocean's Twelve is not... But it's not a better heist movie. No, it's not. It just when it's, a it's like con. <laughs> when it's like how are we gonna up the ante from the Ocean's Eleven? That's what makes the Ocean's Twelve fucking genius. Yes, and literally one of the greatest movies of all time. Yes. IMO. We do not speak of Ocean's Thirteen though, or Ocean's, Ocean's Eight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Ocean's Eight. Jesus. Yeah. Don't get me started. We on got that. nothing but Ocean's Hate over here. Yes. <sighs> Still in teacher mode, I guess, with my bad puns. <laughs> Do you anyway, want to say anything about one of your favorite movies of all time? What haven't we said about it already? I know. It's brilliant. I mean, like, and honestly, like, you look at this cast. I mean, obviously, it's, like, how can it be bad? You got George Clooney. <laughs> one of, you know, national treasure, George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh, Nicolas Cage. You're getting, I mean, your, you're getting your heist movies mixed up. Clooney <laughs> is a national treasure that Nicholas Cage would have to save in a movie. Like, I could see that. <laughs> you know, Brad Pitt is fine. He's good in this movie. He is fine. He's better in this movie than it is in a lot of things. Dude, honestly, everyone's great. We can't we can't roll through the list of 11, Devin. Carl Reiner. Stop. Can it's I a- just say one thing about Carl Reiner? I had the opportunity to, like, see Carl Reiner in person in a small, in my school. He came and talked, and I was like, four feet away from him, and he is the funniest human being I've ever seen in person. But baby. Carl Reiner is funnier than you. you I'm sorry. You see me every day. He's just, he's so sharp and so quick and, like, brilliant, wonderful man. Okay. And I love Carl Reiner, and I'll stand for him all day. I will say I'm not that quick. And he's old, you know what I mean? And he's still, like, boom, jokes. Yeah, I no, got no. jokes and bits. I mean, and same, thing with, uh, same thing with, same thing with, uh, uh, you know, his, his buddy in crime. Mel Brooks? Mel Brooks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. There you go. But wow. I haven't seen Mel Brooks, so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking oh, about Carl okay. Reiner. <clears throat> Mel Brooks is also, like, one of the funniest human beings, for sure. Right. I mean, those guys are just, oh, living legends. Yes. But anyway, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, it's really fucking good. It's, like, well, literally one of our favorite movies ever. It's great from its performances to its script to its pacing to its editing yes. to its cinematography. Dude, it's the shit. Yes. This movie rules. It is, it's a celebration of Hollywood, which could go either way, but it's like a celebration of Hollywood by like a director who is kind of just bouncing around on the outside of it and like doing shit for them, but also somehow maintaining control and turning in something completely unique. Steven Soderbergh is my all-time favorite director. I will not hold that back in any way, and Ocean's Eleven is one of the greatest movies. Mic drop. Not literally, though, because I paid for this thing. Yes. Agreed. 100%. I do feel like people, you know, when they're like, oh, you know, it's like a good heist movie. But I feel like that kind of like discounts it in a way. Like, yes, I, yeah. it is fun and it is like a genre movie and like blah, blah, blah. But it also is so artistic. There are shots in this that are like 
stunning. Right. I mean, and it's not just because it's George. He just face. did shit that, like, honestly, as an exact, like, I don't know how they got a like the stuff he does. Like, I think one, he's really good with execs, but like, yeah, yeah, the stuff like, why would they have kind of wanted this like seventies esque kind of approach to things, and like, why would they think that would work? And he just like totally made it work in every single way. Yes. Ugh. It's so good. And the script is so good. Hey, but before that, you know, again, I mentioned the year before he was nominated for for Traffic and Aaron Brockovich. Both mm-hmm. two I highly recommend. But he really made his comeback after Sex, and Li- after Sex, Lies, and Videotape in 1989. He made his comeback with 1998's Out of Sight. And if you have not seen that movie, possibly, because one, when it came out, it's like who, George Clooney guy, the guy from ER, and then Jennifer Lopez. Uh, yeah, go back and watch that movie. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of the elements you see in Ocean's Eleven kind of tried out here, or he perfected them by Ocean's Eleven. I decided it's really good. And I would say, honestly, Jennifer Lopez is a better actress than she is a singer. And, like, it's too bad she doesn't do a lot of acting anymore. Yeah. Made in Manhattan. Also give it a second watch. I mean, honestly, that movie's good, but I was thinking more of, like, <laughs> other things. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's a very good actress. I do think she's a good actress. I, 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 I'm with you on that. I'm, if I'm link, ranking her talents, I would say dancing number one. <laughs> and then acting. Yeah. And then singing. That's it. Being engaged is somewhere in there, too. She's really good at that. <laughs> That's not nice. I'm sorry. Congratulations to her and A-Rod. Ocean's, I wish them a light. Ocean's Eleven. Devin, yes. what should have won the Oscar this year? Ocean's Eleven. 100%. What were you thinking, Hollywood? Guys, a beautiful mind. A beautiful what? <laughs> a beautiful oh, who? You know who's beautiful? George Clooney. That's true. And, and Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Dude. And oh. Matt Damon. Mm. And Elliot Gould. Kind of I'm pushing just saying. Oh, Elliot. oh, Elliot Gould, <laughs> hands down. Andy Garcia? Yeah. Dude, this movie is full of beautiful people. But you know what? You're also not really thinking, all oh, these people are so beautiful. You know what I mean? You're not distracted by their beauty. You're not because their you're like, this is a good movie. Shine through, yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Dude, even uh, Casey Affleck and uh, Casey Affleck's beautiful. That fucked up son from James Conn's son. Yeah, what's his what's name? It? Scott Conn. Scott Conn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's fine. He's, he's got. Good. He's very short and has a lot of energy, and that's fun. He's got a lot of. They're like, a great dynamic duo. They're wonderful. They are. Mm-hmm. Julia Don Roberts. Cheadle? Did we mention Julia Roberts? Julia We're Roberts just sticking to the men here right now, but Julia Roberts. Beautiful. Always beautiful. Yes. Who are we missing? Uh, Carl some, Reiner, we touched. Carl Reiner, beautiful. Beautiful human being. We're definitely missing somebody. The right? Chinese guy. Oh, yeah. I don't know his name. Don't know his name. Beautiful. Just because I don't want to butcher it, you know? Yes. Uh, He's great. Bernie Mac. May he rest we in peace. Bernie Mac, Beautiful. Yeah. I feel like we did not name 11 There's people. so many reasons to watch this movie. Yeah. I already named them all earlier. Watch it. Love it. It obviously was the best movie of 2001. Yeah. And maybe Academy, you really fucked up. Yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. And neither do some other people. Because let me tell you, has a Rotten Tomato audience score of 80%. Ooh. And a critic score of 82%. Oof. Yes. As far as its legacy, oh, I don't know, has a franchise of four other films. <laughs> How's that for a legacy? <coughs> where did uh where did BFI put it on its uh You know, not Anywhere in the top 250, unfortunately. Jesus. And anywhere about AFI? Nope. Nope. Hasn't made any of those lists. Mm. It was not nominated for any Oscars. Not a single one. Didn't even throw it a bone. Y'all were sleeping. But you know who wasn't? Because at the box office. You know, they were a little distracted in 2001. 
whatever. At the box office, it made $450.7 million. Are you serious? Yeah, it made a lot of money. A Holy lot of shit. people have seen that movie. You know, again, when did it come out? You know, do you have a release date? I don't know when it was. Alexa, but it was the fifth- when did Ocean's Eleven come out? She's going to say 1960. <laughs> Wrong one. No one likes that one, Alexa. Yeah. It was the fifth highest grossing movie of the year. Cool. Is that it for fun facts? Yeah, that's it. Is that it for this episode? Pretty much. I think we're all in agreement, us, the listeners, everyone, that Ocean's Eleven should have won Best Picture. So yeah. I don't know what else there is to say. And I mean, if you haven't checked out Mulholland Drive, maybe give it a watch if you got some time. And then to cleanse your palate, watch Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then definitely check out YouTube Mama Tambien. Especially mm-hmm. if you're just, like, maybe trying to get into more foreign films. Like, it's kind of a good start. I will say don't watch it, like, on a plane. With your mom? Oh. Or with yeah. your mom. Yeah, don't Even watch it Even though it has mama in the title, mom. do not watch it with your no, mother. No, that is not a clue. You watch don't it. Don't do that. You know, um, maybe don't watch it with your best friend. No. Probably not a good idea. Maybe just watch it by yourself. But not in a creepy way. Well, yeah. maybe. Uh, or, you know, you could watch could it by yourself night. in a creepy way. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Yes. Self-care. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Devin. <laughs> All right, that's Thank it. you for coming. See you next week for the season finale. Yay. Bye.